Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. We're starting a new series called Hunger and Thirst because we are in the beginning of the season of Lent. If that is not familiar language to you, Lent is a part of the church calendar, meaning a season that the church has followed throughout our history. Many, many years we have followed this six-week season that leads up to a culmination in Resurrection Sunday, also known as Easter. So it's the six weeks leading up to that time when we have, it's basically like 40 days if you subtract all the Sundays because those are like little breaks from Lent. They're little mini resurrection Sundays. So it's the 40 days minus the Sundays leading up to Resurrection Sunday. And during this time, we are going to be very intentional in our language in this series about leaning into focusing on that feeling of longing that we have. This church calendar season is meant to really lean into a feeling of longing. We are supposed to be feeling that need that we have for a savior. And the idea is that we don't just jump to resurrection glory without this long pause of really feeling ache and need, the hunger and thirst for our resurrected Lord. The longing makes the fulfillment even sweeter if we allow ourselves against our comfort culture to pause in the longing and in the ache and feel it not yet being fulfilled until Easter Sunday. So we're focusing on hunger and thirst. Additionally, we're going to be adding to the things, first of all, that Kat mentioned. We really invite you into entering into these rhythms of prayer. Not only does the season of Lent annually shape the capital C church, right? All of the church through time and across different space. Lent is meant to shape us, but for ourselves here, we enter into these weekly rhythms as a devotion to God, a choice to sacrifice one more hour of morning sleep, to come to prayer early, to lean into the Wednesday teachings on the cohort, to fast from lunch on Fridays in our own place, knowing that we're all doing this corporately and just believing in faith that God will meet us as we guard these spaces of longing. Additionally, in our liturgy, the way we go through Sunday morning, we're going to be having a pause each week to have a moment we're calling leaning into longing. And this is something a little different we don't often do from the front, but it's going to be leading us each week through kind of like a meditative practice. Don't get scared. That's not like a scary thing. It's like a really cool thing to meditate on who God is and scripture. And so we're going to do seven meditations, and those are really meant for you to to participate in response and take that nugget that you hear or feel or um, are drawn to on Sundays and take it through your prayers in the week. So the goal here is that we are really choosing to lean into longing together. So Lent is really a season that typically involves a lot of engagement for churchgoers. People engage in different practices on purpose to to hold this space as special. Oftentimes you hear people giving something up. We often do like a, a, I'm going to give something up and replace it with this more life-giving thing or more God-honoring thing. So you hear people talking about, I'm fasting from something or I'm 
doing a new thing as a new practice for Lent. I'm devoting myself to engage in certain ways. And that's to remind ourselves of Christ's own sacrifice. He gave himself up, God's self sacrificed. So our little sacrifices that we do in Lent are just to make us feel hunger often and thirst, right? We notice that thing that we gave up. And then uh, like Kat said, those other uh, rhythms as well. So all of these practices, all of this stuff that we've just put out there, meditations and Lent rhythms, and maybe you're fasting from something, all of it demonstrates a feeling of waiting and longing. And so lastly, the other thing we're going to do that's new, and I'll remind you of this at the end, but we're going to hold our elements of communion and we're going to wait and not receive them until everybody has their communion. We'll wait and receive them together. Again, a posture of this waiting and longing. So those are all some things that you can expect and I encourage you to engage in. But for now, let's dig in. Hunger and thirst. We're gonna talk about this idea of living in longing. So as I mentioned before, Lent is that 40-day window leading up to Resurrection Sunday. If you've been around church at all, that 40-day comment should spark something in you. I've heard about this whole 40 gig before. Next week, Jade is going to be teaching in part about um, Jesus's 40 days in the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days and faced temptation. And we know that that's, the Bible project calls them hyperlinks, that that's a hyperlink as well to the 40 days after the exodus of the nation of Israel out of slavery, bondage in Egypt. They then were disobedient and that whole generation wandered for 40 years in the desert before they were able to enter the promised land. And you hear the things that they faced. They faced very real hunger and thirst. And that whole generation was dying off before the next generation got to enter the land that was flowing with milk and honey. Hear the, hear the hunger and thirst versus milk and honey. Like this, this idea is there of what God is longing to provide. And during those 40 years in the desert of wandering, God did provide. God provided where there was no meat, God provided quail. Where there was no bread, God provided manna, which literally means what is it? That's the translation. That's what they called this product. What is it? And every day it would come, but you couldn't take more than you needed that day or it would rot except before the Sabbath. You could take a double portion and that Sabbath portion wouldn't rot. But you had to only take what you needed. No, no hoarding, right? Because they, God wanted the people of Israel to be daily in dependence on God's provision. And then there was water from a rock as well. And we hear that idea of daily provision as well in the Lord's prayer. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, pray for, um, give us Lord our daily bread. It means like just what I need for today. Part of that is not only provision, it's a reminder of ongoing need for God as the one who provides everything. And so this 40 days is meant to link us to the 40 days of Jesus, the 40 years of the nation of Israel. And we are entering into a mini representation of that as a community and as individuals. I highly encourage you to press yourself in new ways in this season of Lent.
So we talk about this as hunger and thirst, as really important language that's actually seen a lot throughout scripture. So we know that these are um, sensations experienced by humans in our bodies. If you remember back in our fall series, the human experience matters to God, including with our limitations. And we know this because Christ came into our humanity and that was Christ's willingness, God's own self willing to experience physical hunger and thirst and those kinds of discomfort, unmet needs that needed to be fulfilled. Not just like I'd like them to be fulfilled. They must be fulfilled. And throughout scripture, this longing of, or this language of hunger and thirst is there to indicate a deeper longing. It's beyond an emotional desire, a hope, or a wish. And don't get me wrong, emotional desires also matter to the heart of God. They're important. But when you hear hunger and thirst, you need to go beyond your emotional desire for something and think like, no, I actually deeply need this to be fulfilled for my very core to my existence. I can't go without fixing this hunger or fixing this thirst. I don't know about you guys, I was thinking about this. The longer I've, the longest I've ever gone without food is about 36 hours. I have not experienced true hunger to a debilitating sense before. And I know there are people who have. And by the way, if you are in a space where you are experiencing true physical needs that are not being met, please reach out. We have a community that would long to help to meet those needs. But I want us, I want you to imagine, like what's, just think in your head for just a second, we'll pause. What was the longest you went without food? What's the hungriest or the thirstiest that you remember ever being? And you know, that's, you felt that in your body. Like, I don't know about you, my stomach gets really loud after like three hours. It's really embarrassing. But there are like signs of our hunger and our thirst. And it's a different longing than hoping or wishing. And that's what we want to press into. And these passages that we're gonna press into are talking about that. Because with all of these longings, the language of scripture says that God is the one who will satisfy. God promises to fulfill those deepest deepest longings, and he uses the language of feast and drink and food to uh, give the communication of, I will provide for that deepest longing in the way that only God can. And so this is the piece that we lean into in this series because of the season of Lent. I love Isaiah 55, one, come all who are thirsty, come to the waters and you who have no money, come buy and eat. I think about this in part because when I thought about that whole 36 hours, you know, I had to wait 36 hours before I could eat. I thought about how much of my life actually the second that I have a craving, I'm able to fulfill it. If I have a craving to know how old Barack Obama is, I can Google and be satisfied with an answer in like 20 seconds. If I want a new book, I can download it in 30 seconds. If I need, really need that new something or other, like Amazon brings it to me the next day. There's not a lot of time where we just let ourselves sit in longing and feel it. 
just let that tummy grumble feeling in our hearts and bodies just be there. Allow ourselves to feel a deeper longing. And I love this passage because the thing that Isaiah is saying here, you who have no money, you who don't have Amazon Prime, you who don't have the funds to go get that latte and order it to go from Starbucks app, you who don't have means to immediately satisfy, you're the ones who will be deepestly satisfied. Deepestly, I just made that word up. Deepestly satisfied by God's provision. And so I love this. God promises to fulfill the hunger and thirst in ways that only God can. But now we're going to jump back for just a second. There's a promise, but remember what we talked about last week, where we are in the cosmic timeline. Yeah, we've got this abundant love of God that we were talking about in the first part of Ephesians and the present reality of the existence of suffering that are both together. And that's where we remember, where are we in the cosmic plot line? We're in a space of the here and not yet. Some of those promises for the deepest longings to be fulfilled, that God will fulfill, are still in the not yet category. That's where we exist now as people holding on to the way of Jesus. So we hold that in one hand, that tension, that promise of God to fulfill, and the other hand, the reality of where we are in the cosmic plot line, and we talk about this kingdom language in our passage today. This, is, uh, this passage is often called the Beatitudes, the blessed are, the this and that. Um, I, just, I grabbed two of them, so this is not in order, but blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All of these beatitudes, theirs is the kingdom. These are the kingdom people. This kingdom that we talked about last week that is here through Jesus, but also not yet fulfilled. Some of the promises not yet fulfilled. Lent is when we just allow that longing to be felt. And we don't look for a quick fix for it. As our comfort culture, I'm a big fan of comfort, you guys. If you've been to my house, I've told you this. There's a blankie on every chair. Curl up, take your shoes off, sit crisscross applesauce. Like, let's be comfy. But the comfy culture is a thing that we need to willingly come against to say, I'm willing to feel the discomfort of this kingdom tension. This promise, this hunger and thirst leading up to the resurrection of Christ, who is our resurrected future promise. That's why we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. But I'm not going to jump ahead. So talking about hunger and thirst for a minute, some of the language that I think Jesus is using here in the Beatitudes, including this blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We know that Jesus knew scripture uh, very well, was taught by uh, his parents and by the Holy Spirit and by others in his community, he knew scripture. And um, I was reading that they think that this probably, there's a ton of Okay, I say this a different way. Read Psalm 37 in its entirety. It is loaded with Beatitudes language. A lot of talk about righteousness and all of this. But listen to this passage in here. When we're talking about the, um, the hunger and thirst for righteousness, the th- hunger and thirst for righteousness in this case is that there would be no more oppressors. There would be no more injustice. I'm gonna read just 12 to 17. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked for he knows their day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and needy. 
to slay those who are, whose ways are upright, but their swords will pierce their own hearts and their bows will be broken. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealthy of many wicked, for the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. And so this righteousness that we're talking about, I think oftentimes in reading scripture, including the Beatitudes, we can look at this as, um, as like personal sin language, like moral do good or do better language. And that stuff's good and true, but it's way bigger. The kingdom view is way broader when scripture talks about righteousness, who the righteous are, what the righteous are doing this. Don't just read like moral behavior, fix it up individuals. It's not that. What it's saying is that um, kingdom righteousness is that all of the world all of the world would be aligned with the way of God. All of the world would be in right living, righteousness. That those who are pursuing the right living according to God's economy of justice and mercy and peace, all of that, the flourishing of every human who is living with a kingdom right living mindset, that's kingdom righteousness. So it's right living with God and with each other. It's, it's right ordering of things like justice and flourishing of every human. You know, where we see wrong ordering right now is it with this huge economic disparity in our country. Who has, uh, who has access to good education and who does not? That's all wrong ordering. God's righteousness that we hunger and thirst for is right ordering of things like resources and education. It's about right motivations of hearts and of actions. An example I would say here is like, okay, there are some people who have different positions that hold authority or power. Are they using that as power for or power over and against? So it's how are you using the influence or the authority you have in your workplace, in your home, in the political realm, wherever you are, it's how are you using the power or influence that you have. Righteousness, kingdom righteousness is right ordering of your influence and things like that. So this is when we're talking about hunger and thirst, it is for us, it is for the world. And that feels like a really, really tall order. But it's a deep hunger and thirst that God's way would be everybody's reality, everybody's reality. Joy, justice, mercy, compassion, shalom, garden of Eden thriving before the fall garden with God and with each other. Okay, that's all, that's all kingdom righteousness is, right? It's like the whole, whole tall order. It's big picture kingdom-sized righteousness and that's the ones who are blessed are the ones who are willing to feel the ache for that when that is not our reality yet, where those things that are supposed to be right are still in some ways wrong. So feel the longing for the right ordering of all things. And here is where a major Lent practice of the church across geography and through time comes in, and that's repentance. Lent's tone is solemn on purpose. It starts with Ash Wednesday. Those of you who came to service know this. You were marked with dust on our foreheads and we were reminded from ashes you have come and I'm sorry, from dust you have come into dust you will return. Now this is not dust like you are, you know, like dirt. You are just worthless. It's not that. That's actually counter 
message to the whole message of Jesus. It was like, you are so worth it. I'm coming and dying on a cross. So it's not that. It's just this somber reminder that... Um, that, that we have this need for a savior. Like we can't do this resurrection promise on our own. So it's this, from dust you will return. It's a, it's a reminder to mark us with our mortality and get our hunger for a resurrection promise that we now have through Christ. And so when we uh, focus in Lent on repentance, it's the same thing. It's just us acknowledging we need a savior. All the wrong stuff we can't righteousness it on our own. We are hungry and we need a savior. So a definition I found, repentance is a term referring to remorse or regret that can also result in a change of thinking or behavior. In the gospels, the repentance points to both an interchange and a change in behavior. Mainly, this is the main point, turning away from an ungodly life to one reoriented towards God. So we know that when Jesus first came, the words that he was saying as recorded in Mark 1.15 is, the time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent. First thing he says after announcing kingdom has come. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus is saying, it's time. The kingdom's here. Turn towards God. Come on, because I offered a way. I've got the way to actually be able to turn and have access to God now. And so Jesus is, for Jesus, repentance isn't just accepting a set of beliefs and saying what I believe. That is important. Yes, I believe you are who you say you are, Jesus. But it's about, repentance about turning. It's a change of our posture to behave according to values of God's kingdom. So it's a saying that these, I'm going to choose to do what I can to be right in my way with God and with others. And here's the thing, that always has outward implications. And when we're talking about it, when Jesus is talking about it, it's not just for the individual. It's knowing that that choice has outward implications for others. I'm actually gonna read from the words of John the Baptist who was saying like, hey, it's time, this one is coming, kingdom is here, but I'm not the Messiah, but the one is coming. And here is what he was saying to a group of people who, wait, is this the right place? We're listening. Yeah, and so they were all asking like, okay, this is, it's time, like, what do we do? And so I'm picking up in Luke three, verse eight. John says this, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So keep that, keep, produce fruit in keeping with that repentance, turning posture, okay? And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowd says, what then can we do or should we do? And John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they said, what should we do? Don't collect any more money than you're required to. He goes on with other examples. What's the point? This fruit of repentance, this fruit of turning towards God. Wait, now see, I can read my notes, but now I can't see you. Turning towards God then is bearing fruit that has outward ramifications for the good of people around you. The fruit of repentance brings right ordering to the people around you. Righteousness, 
right living, righteousness, fosters right ordering in the world around us. And that's what we're talking about when we say hunger and thirst during Lent for this season where we're willing to sit in the hard part of our cosmic story and say we hunger and thirst for more of the kingdom of God. We are hungry and thirsty for more in the world around us as well more of the kingdom, the righteousness of God to win out over powers and principalities which have marred our world and are still operating in ways that are anti-God. But we, we are not only stewards of this good news, but we are temples of the Holy Spirit who have the ability to act in ways that bring about rightness, righteousness, not only for us, but for others. This is about the justice of God. We have uh, three of our values that are up on our wall here, honor, freedom, and renewal. I'm going to read to you when we say the word honor, what we have written that we mean by this. And I'm going to tell you right off the bat, this language is so lofty. When you open up your news apps and you're like, this feels so far away. But this is kingdom, lofty, God-sized language for people who are willing to carry kingdom-sized desires in our hearts and go towards that. So I'm just going to read this. We affirm that every single person has a measurable value because they are made in the image of God. Yet, where are we in our cosmic story? We live in a world where so many have their inherent dignity questioned and marred, often as the result of systemic injustices. In response, we will be a community of hope and action, seeking friendship and unity as we become reconcilers and advocate until all people in Chicago flourish. All people in Chicago a tall order, but we're going to be kingdom-sized dreamers because we know that the right ordering matters to not only us, but to people around us. So these thoughts are kind of seeming all over the place. We're talking about kingdom righteousness. We hunger and thirst for that, and it revolves repentance, this side of heaven. Okay, we talked about what this repentance is. It's a turning, right? And when we talk about repentance, we're talking about acknowledging, just being willing to acknowledge where we as individuals or as a society. Here's the thing, you guys. We can repent individually for society. We cry out and say, we have messed up in this category. Cry out to God. Help us, God. We need you. Look at this ginormous problem that I don't even know where to start with. Gun violence in Chicago. We can repent on behalf of society as well. Anyway, so repentance is this season acknowledging where we've turned from God individually or as a society and leaning into our longing to return towards the way of God. We long to turn to your right kingdom ordering. An observation by me, I think repentance can get a bad rap. And I think that there's a few reasons for this. I know some people who were forced when they were little to like go into a confessional and say stuff and they sometimes had to like think of stuff to say about how they were so awful, but maybe they were, we weren't even all that awful of a kid and they really got messed up in their head about what confession was and there was just a door there. Like there are people whose forced confessionals give repentance a bad rap. Maybe you have a childhood memory, or I don't know how far into adulthood, of being forced to say you're sorry when you didn't even do it. You didn't, I, 
this sorry just means nothing now to you because it's hard for you to say you're sorry because you don't even get what the problem was and you didn't do it, but mom made you say sorry anyway. Or maybe you've received some of those funky apologies in your life that's like, I'm really sorry you feel that way, which is like, I think I'm still to blame in the way that you said, I don't know what to do with that apology or something like that. Somebody's used a weird apology and so repentance, Lord, I'm sorry, just feels like mm, hard. Maybe you've had relationships that included just groveling, right? Or you offered a heartfelt apology for wrong and it was like, okay, but still on your tally. You know what I mean? Your wrong wasn't ever actually like erased as far as the East is from the West. And so repentance is hard in relationships. Like you guys, listen, we mess things up. We should repent for when we do that to our friends and family. But it's true. Sometimes the sorry can be really hard, but listen to this. Isaiah 30, 15, this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. That gets me every time. In turning to me, God would say, you are free. I long to remove whatever that transgression was. As far as the east is from the west, I'm not going to keep remembering it. By the way, side note, you guys, when you keep on, when you have repented for a sin and it keeps coming back to mind, that is the enemy who I swear just tries to keep on putting that right back, that rock in your backpack saying, this is your junk. You still need to carry it. That is not the voice of God. When you have repented, God can't wait to just remove it all the way, right? But, and so you would have none of it. Like return, just rest in repentance, be free. But you would have none of it, repentance and rest. What if we actually learned that there was rest in repenting? What if we experienced rest in repenting to God on our own behalf or on behalf of society. So in Lent, I want to encourage us, you guys, acknowledge our need for a savior. Lord, we need you. I messed up in my anger again. I just need you and rest in repentance. What if we took that as our stance and rest in the completeness of our access to a savior who takes away all transgressions as far as the east is from the west. We say, Lord, I need you. When I struggle with that temptation in my heart. I need your spirit strength. When I was hurtful to a friend, I need you. When we have created collectively a world uh, marked by gun violence and systemic poverty patterns of injustice, we need you. When our kids don't get access to, to equal access to food or education, like we need you. We need your kingdom to come and your will to be done for right living on earth as it is in heaven. And it's stating our need to the kingdom of God and the access that we have to that kingdom through Christ Jesus. But going back to repentance for a minute, because much of what we need to do to even be ready to repent, I need to back up a little bit from that because to return to God's heart, to see where we've turned and acknowledge that and, and return towards God's heart for right living, I think that we need to first and foremost be just willing to be people who are in a conversation with God in the first place. We need to be people of prayer. It needs to be a normal part of how we interact so that we even have a chance to see these things that aren't in line with the way of God because we're in conversation with God. Repentance is just one posture in prayer, but I want to 
broaden our lens back to prayer now because I often personally don't see the places where I've gone off from the way of God, especially in my motivations perhaps or in my actions. I often don't even see that until I'm processing my day with God. And that's when I even see that like, I have a longing to do it better. Like that's the place where I even can know it. And so I wanna go back to our broader invitation for all of us this season. We want to start this year with these practices that fuel our faith. They're not the end goal. They're not the faith. They're just fuels to get the fire of our faith going, not the end in and of themselves. But we really do feel there's an invitation into fostering relationship with God. My conviction on this is so strong, you guys. If we are truly engaged with God, if we're experiencing real relationship with God, kingdom moments are happening around us in this community and outward to our neighbors and to our friends. Like it's just going to happen. But our part in that is to foster relationship and God acts in and through us for each other, with each other and outwardly. That's why we do the Sabbath conversations and then we're talking now about prayer and we're gonna talk about scripture next too. But for now, with prayer, our living witness of the goodness of God just screams out of a life that's lived in honest relationship with God. We don't even, we would not even the words are necessary. Our living witness will automatically be screaming about the goodness of our God if we're living an honest relationship with God and that includes in both our ups and our downs as we used to call them in our house what was your up and what was your down I want to be living both of those out with God so we are talking about prayer I can't unpack prayer right now I just want to say this part as an encouragement it's just being in conversational relationship with God but it takes intention from us because God is already there and present, but we need to intentionally say, I'm going to invest in this conversational relationship. This isn't a real list from anybody scholarly. This is just me typing out ways that I sometimes have that conversation. I want you to think about a relationship where you felt really safe and at home. Maybe it was with a parent or a sibling or a great roommate or a spouse. The way that you guys lived together in a long stretch. You have all these things. You shake your fist in anger. You lament about something that's happening out in the world. You uh, vent. You vent. I'm so bugged right now. You listen, you process, you, you do all these things in relationship. Like God is such a great relational conversation partner to do all these same things with. Even the stuff that feels not so lovely, like shaking our fists, right? But all of this is saying, I'm going to intentionally enter into conversation. And by the way, that also includes silence. If you've been with somebody that you just love and you don't have to say a thing, but you just are like so content in each other's presence. That's prayer too. It's its own kind of prayer. I wanted to just share um, something that came up earlier this week. Our GC had such a rich conversation this week about things of prayer and about hesitations that people were having with that whole like God told me line and like, what does that mean? And like, do you hear God? Or like, I don't know if I do the same way. It was just a really rich conversation to me and also just to being honest about where all of our experiences are really different side plug for community in general. Processing this stuff in community is really, really good when you're hearing something from the Lord. But anyway, as we were talking about that and just our different experiences with prayers, I just felt like I, I just want to like share a little bit of truth of my own journey with prayer because wherever you are, I want to invite us to more. I don't want to invite us. God specifically 
asked me to invite us, myself included, you guys, I need this right now, into more of prayer. When I was a little girl, now I'm just like giving a little testimony so you can like just know it's okay to be in different spaces, right? When I was younger, I used to pray what I now call to my Santa Claus God. I was supposed to like give my wish list and like really hope that God was pleased with me because he saw everything. That whole line of Santa Claus, he sees you when he's sleeping, you know, it was just a little too freaky. And so by prayers in those ages, and then I grew up and it got like more mature in what I was asking for, but still it was the same. I just, it was this very one-way conversation and there was, I didn't feel and much fruit, but I did it. And I believe that God honored that as obedience. If that's as far as your prayer is right now, it's beautiful. God receives it as obedience and he hears every word of those longing of your heart. Later on in my life, I actually began to have more intimate conversations with God. And that's when I started to actually be aware of God's presence and love. And there was sort of like a stillness, like we didn't always talk in prayer anymore. It was kind of cool. I liked that. In other seasons of my life, I've been, you'll be shocked to hear, unable to find words, even me. And I remember sitting for the longest time one day in prayer and literally all I said was help, help. That was it. And I was sat in prayer like that for an hour and that was the only one word. But there was a ton of conversation still going on in its own way, even though it was only one. I call that my wordless prayer, just lots of presence. There was a season in my life when the kids were really little and I couldn't sit down and, you know, I was just scattered in my brain. I was working from home uh, with kids at home and it was a lot of like distraction. And I came to find, I called that time my undercurrent of prayer. I just sort of ended up bringing God into the thoughts I was already having. Like literally some days it would be like, God, can you believe it's time to do dishes again? I'm super frustrated right now. It was already the dialogue in my head, but I was just bringing God into wherever I was. And there's other seasons. Right now I'm in one of these. I'm highly distracted. I am doing much better praying with other people around than I am on my own. And so I've had to get pen and paper next to me because I'm like, I cannot keep a thought right now. I need this too. But that also brings up, I've, I've um, learned different tricks if you're highly distracted. Like the pen and paper or um, something tactile to like bring you back if you're a wanderer. There's things to do in different seasons. I know people who love to read written prayers. They feel a connection with the history of the church to just read the words and pray the words somebody else wrote. I know people who follow patterns like the prayer of examine is a beautiful one. Give me a guide because I can't just sit here on my own or my head is off into next weekend so fast. So, okay, well, here's prayers with guided steps. Those are really beautiful. I know some people pray in tongues. It's a beautiful thing. It's a language between you and God, but it's we do know that the spirit will cry out in groans that we don't even understand when we can't find words for ourselves. And so there is a prayer language that can be really freeing and beautiful. This isn't about getting to a shared space of prayer. What it is a call to you guys is just to know that kingdom-sized dreams are God's desires. And what we want to do is just be people who are committed to sit before God and say, how can I come in line with your desires? That's it. If we just devote ourselves to saying like, I'm just going to sit here, God, maybe I'll feel your presence. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll talk. Maybe I'll intercede on behalf of a friend. Maybe I'll tell you what I'm longing for. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll just sit here and lament to say, God, your will is over here, but our world is over here and there's a huge gap and I'm mad about it. 
That's a beautiful prayer. Just say it before God. But on all of these things, what we want to be doing together is being willing to lean into longing, to feel the hunger, not to numb it like we can so quickly with our lattes and our Amazon Primes. And those things are just fine. But let's just take a hot second and feel the longing for kingdom rightness and allow ourselves to say, like, I'm going to sit in this longing and I'm going to do it with God. And I believe in faith that God will show up and he will form a people who more and more reflect his glorious son's right way to the world around us that is so hungry and so thirsty for something more right ordered than what they're experiencing right now. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.